Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. It's so nice to have very good music to welcome us into this place in this time of worship, of devoting ourselves to God and through the Holy Spirit to one another. Would you pray with me? God, we give thanks for this community. Something we might have once taken for granted, but now we are overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. But the presence of your spirit and your love that exists between us and is palpable. Thank you, God, for calling us together to be your church in word and deed and thought. Amen. This past Friday, I went to Cafe Cacao, which is one of the places which I think makes it uh, cool to live in or near Oklahoma City. If you've never heard of it, it doesn't look like it's going to be an excellent restaurant. I'm pretty sure it's an old Wendy's. But when you go in, you see this small dining room that has been made in, with some delightful improvements. I'm a millennial, so I just go nuts over those strings of Edison light bulbs from the ceilings. There's a great tile backsplash. There's tasteful decor. But the aesthetics aside, the real reason one goes to Cafe Cacao, as any restaurant, I would hope, is for the food. And it's always good. I see Anna Reinhardt going, yeah, she knows where I'm talking about. It's Guatemalan and other Central American fare. They're a brunch and a lunch spot. Their dishes are colorful, very carefully plated. Their art on a plate. It seems like there's some big corporate chain, like secretly popping up a restaurant that looks like it's supposed to be local, but they're the real deal. Cafe Cacao is a restaurant from the Del Cid family, a mother and her two sons of Guatemalan descent who serve some of the best food I've ever eaten. So I ordered the burrito cubano and was delighted to find this tasty mixture of beef, onions, and plantains, and a tortilla beautifully drizzled with both a plantain sauce and a tomatilla sauce. And I'm pretty sure that this burrito was the size of my head. And just as I was about to tuck in, a thought just ever so gently popped up. Is it okay to eat a burrito that is as big as my head when so many people are hungry in this world? I have been privileged to journey near and far on behalf of the church in one of those places that I have been sent as Guatemala. The Christian Church in Illinois and Wisconsin is a global mission partner with the Ecumenical Council of Guatemala. And so I was part of a delegation from Eureka College almost 10 years ago. 
we were sent to witness that ministry that they are doing as the ecumenical council uniting churches to bring about wholeness of life peace and justice through the work of the church the church in guatemala has no small task guatemala is a beautiful country with resilient people and they have been used and abused by rich countries for the last several centuries most recently the united states through the cia our country enacted a coup d'etat in 1954 which deposed the democratically elected president and installed a military military dictatorship and shortly thereafter begun over three decades of civil war the dictatorship ended formally speaking in the 1980s the civil war in 1996 after almost 36 years of warfare which disproportionately affected the poor and the Mayan peoples of Guatemala. You might be asking, so why did the United States interfere? There are a lot of reasons, but most baldly, the United Fruit Company, which we now know as Chiquita, uh, would be hurt because of the reforms that were coming down in Guatemala, reforms that would ensure more equal land distribution. And because we were taking a hard stand against communism and land reforms looked bad and we wanted cheap bananas. The end result is that there are many Guatemalans who still do not have enough to this day. I ended up eating the burrito that's as big as my head. I ate every bite. It was great, 11 out of 10. I highly recommend that if you are looking for good brunch in Oklahoma City, that you go to Cafe Cacao. But the question haunts me. Is it right that I get to enjoy this luxury? What does God think about me eating a dish inspired by the cuisine of a country where the United Nations calculates that 46.5% of children under five have stunted growth due to malnutrition and two-thirds of the population lives on less than two American dollars a day? a country with one of the most unequal distributions of wealth in the world, all so we could have cheap fruit. And of course, you don't have to go to faraway places to know hunger. One in four Oklahoman children lives with hunger. According to the Regional Food Bank of Oklahoma, we are one of the hungriest states, one of the most food insecure states in the union. As Tara is good to remind me, some three-quarters of our El Reno public school children are on free or reduced lunches to help prevent that hunger, which I don't say is an insult to your family. My family was too. But it does mean that there is real hunger here in El Reno too. And if you don't believe me, I invite you to come around the church office, especially toward the end of the month. We get calls from hungry people. Or even more often, families that are one missed bill, one day away from utilities being cut off. Families who are one week away from eviction or less. Because a snowball of debt, of swapping off which bills to pay as a Jenga tower, the stack of cards is finally crumbling. And by the time they call us, we often can't help because the bills at that point are too much for our benevolent fund. We tithe on our tithes here. We're pretty um, open about that. But we primarily do so by giving to organizations which help to either build lasting change or to provide stable services in El Reno. And so we don't put a lot of our funding into our benevolent fund, about $25 a week. And so we make referrals to the Lord's Harvest if you're hungry, 
Community Action for Utilities because they have partnered with the Minister Alliance, which we also fervently support, to find utility relief. But it's never enough. So I want to remind you right here, right now, that there are a lot of people, your neighbors, your friends, who do not have enough. You're probably sitting in the pew with someone who does not have enough. Today's scripture, which Serenity read for us, opens in the middle of a story, which maybe is the tagline for any Bible story. We're always in the middle of it. Today, we find the Israelites in a wilderness story as they move from Elam to the wilderness of Sin, which in this case has no uh, metaphor, no relationship to our English word sin, a wasted metaphorical opportunity perhaps. So how did they get to Elam? So it's be moving into the wilderness of sin. The quick and dirty version is that the descendants of Jacob, also known as Israel, were enslaved by the Egyptians, and in Egypt they were fed a steady diet of more. Pharaoh was afraid of them, and his economic imagination concocted what we might call an infinity more. Pharaoh demanded more labor, making the Israelites build him cities so that their spirits would break because they were more numerous than the Egyptians, and Pharaoh was afraid of them. But their spirits didn't break, and the Israelites multiplied and spread anyway, even with bitter service of mortar and brick, field labor, and more was imposed upon them. Then in his infinite more, Pharaoh demanded more misery, killing baby boys so that the Israelite numbers would decrease. But the midwives were wiser and refused to kill these babies. And so the Israelites multiplied and spread, and Pharaoh continued, and the Israelites groaned and cried, and they called upon their God. And God heard. God called up Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery and into a land of milk and honey. Moses asked Pharaoh for the people of Israel to have just three days off. Not even PTO, just off. so that they might go out to the wilderness and sacrifice to God. And it is at this point that Pharaoh's infinite more really takes off. Pharaoh denies their request because if the great number of Israelites ever stopped working, they might just realize they didn't have to work all the time. The people of Egypt just might realize that they were outnumbered and that their clandestine economy was not built by them. It was not built by the Egyptian work ethic, by their cunning and education, by their cultivated talent, or even their well-appointed internships. Sorry, Matthew. But their economy was built on the backs of the least of these, these Israelites. And so in his infinite more, Pharaoh commands that the Egyptian supervisors demand the same number of bricks, but Instead of supplying the straw, the Israelites would now have to go and gather the straw themselves. Because after all, why did they want to go and sacrifice? Because they're lazy, Pharaoh says. Lazy. Lazy. And so the infinite more begins. More bricks, less straw. More bricks, less straw. More bricks, less straw. 
What comes next is the most famous part of the story. The ten plagues, the Passover, the escape from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. The Israelites cross on dry ground, but the Egyptians get stuck in the mud and the waters unpart, which is to say the Egyptians drown and the Israelites are freed and everyone lives happily ever after. Almost. Getting from point A to point B is going to take longer than the Israelites might have anticipated because getting out of the mindset of infinite more is not for the faint of heart. It's something that will take them 40 years, several generations to unlearn, which is finally how we arrive to our passage today where the people of Israel are going to leave the oasis of Elam and step out into the wilderness of sin. And they are hungry. As the old phrase goes, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Life under Pharaoh's regime was miserable. More bricks, less straw. But at least there was food. Now comes an experience where the Israelites are going to be reshaped by their wilderness generations where the mindset of infinite more will be disrupted and replaced by something more divinely inspired. But it will take time, and it will take trust. And for our people of Israel, it begins with this experience of being hungry, needy in the desert. It begins for them with not enough. And surely by now you've caught on. We are beginning a new worship series today, a series entitled More Than Enough, Living Abundantly in a Culture of Excess. It's based on the book by the same name by the Reverend Lee Hull Moses, uh, who is a disciples pastor, was serving a church quite a bit, I think, like ours when she wrote it. It's also our one book, one church for the summer. And so if you're interested in reading individually or as a group, please let me know and I'll get you a copy I'm hoping that at least 15 of us will read this book, either individually or in a group this summer. So over this month, this month of June, we're seeking abundance instead of excess, of trying not to have too much, but certainly not settling for not enough either. Most pointedly, we're asking, how do we live faithfully? Because we are strange people in a strange moment, my friend. Depending on what metric you use, we live in the richest country on earth, possibly the richest country in the history of human civilization. We have 614 billionaires in this country, and we are on track to have our first trillionaire by 2026, Mr. Jeff Bezos. Of course, those numbers don't really mean anything to us, so putting them in units of time has been much more helpful for me, something we can understand easier. A million seconds, for example, is 12 days. Tick, tick. A billion seconds is 31 years. And a trillion seconds is 31,688 years. The numbers get bigger. And so even though I'm not a billionaire, neither are any of you on the list, I know compared to the world over, I am a rich person, and you might be too. And yet, despite my worldly riches, I also know that I have financial debts that I cannot pay off today if I wanted to, and that I sometimes worry about how all of the bills will be paid, 
and that despite the advice of every single financial advice person, I still don't have three to six months of my income sitting in an account where I can access it if I fall on hard times. So despite my worldly riches, I feel like I don't have enough either. And I often feel like I will never have enough. And I suspect you might feel the same too from time to time. Perhaps it's the curse of living in a superpower like Egypt or the United States of America. Perhaps it's the calling card of sin. Or perhaps it's the inability to believe in anything beyond what raw power and money can buy. But for whatever reason, the infinite more of Pharaoh is alive and well in our culture too. Our inability to ever have enough to say that this much is finally sufficient to say this much and not a cent more. That inability leads us into the inescapable, infinite more. Because I know really well how much money I must make each month. But I don't know if I could tell you what would be too much. I have guesses. But I don't know that I've ever sat down and said anything above X number of dollars would be too much because it would damage my soul. So I too am under the spell of the infinite more. And this is dangerous, my friends. And it's dangerous because when nothing feels like enough, it makes it difficult for us to realize when there is truly not enough in our lives or in the lives of others. Pharaoh felt like he didn't have enough either. He didn't have enough buildings and power and wealth. And those Israelites, they didn't have enough freedom. They didn't have enough time to go and worship their God. And so that was their initial request, by the way, denied by Pharaoh. To go and worship would make them lazy. Under the logic of infinite more, there's no difference between these two lacks. Under that spell, both don't have enough. And Pharaoh, with his power and wealth and army, will win. His not enough is more important than the Israelites'. This insidious way of behaving, of thinking, of moving through the world is why we find the Israelites in this wilderness of sin. To learn how to break that cycle of infinite more. To learn the differences between abundance and excess. Too much and not enough. In some ways, we are also in a wilderness period too. Summer does this naturally. The kids are out of school, the days are longer, the fruit a little sweeter. Abundance is in the air, and so we have a little more room to wonder what life could be like. This summer has with it that the pandemic is finally winding down. Some of us have lived very different lives over the last five seasons. Some of us have not. But all of us were affected. And so we have an opportunity to journey in the wilderness of sin, and this time I do mean the full theological term for sin, the notion of falling short of the glory of God, of missing the mark of God's justice and love. And in our wilderness wanderings, we might discover that we all feel we don't have enough, and that sometimes this is a lie, and sometimes it is truth. Some of us do know all too well that we do not have enough. And we have itemized and inventoried this lack, and we can tell you how much might fix the problems. And so as we journey in this wilderness moment, my friends, let's listen to them 
No. Some of us have abundance, and we still don't know if we will ever have enough. Let's reorient and say enough is finally enough. And some of us, perhaps most of us, don't know what we do and don't have. Because Pharaoh's infinite more, the hustle, the grind, the making more bricks with less straw has consumed us so. So let's figure it out together. And as we journey in this wilderness period, might we be changed so that we can all share in God's abundant life. This sermon podcast is a ministry of First Christian Church, El Reno, Oklahoma. It is preached about 85% of the time by senior minister Colton Lott, about 10% of the time by associate minister Tara Dew, and about 5% of the time from a beloved guest. If you check the math and we're wrong, don't worry about it. This podcast is produced by communications coordinator Rachel Carlson, and the instrumentalization you hear is by Chris Prather, our bell choir director, percussionist, and composer in residence. Christian community is made up by the individuals who show up each week, and so while this has been preached and produced by some, it is the work of many. So whether you show up with your body or with your enthusiasm, with your dollars, with your prayers, or your love. Thank you for making the body of Christ real and felt and known. Go and be a blessing this day and always, friends. Amen.